Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which, we is, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Where there is no vision, the people perish. In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen. amen. Please be seated. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's from the book of Proverbs. There are 46 hymns in our hymnal numbers 566 through 612. They come from a section called Christian Responsibility. Christian Responsibility. I want to begin this morning by sharing just a few words from three of them that have just bubbled up in my sad heart this week as I've watched and as you've watched what's going on in Eastern Europe. Some of these you'll recognize, some may be new. New advent of the love of Christ, shall we again refuse thee, till in the night of hate and war we perish as we lose thee? From old unfaith our souls release to seek the kingdom of thy peace, by which alone we choose thee. O day of peace that dimly shines through all our hopes and prayers and dreams. Guide us to justice, truth, and love, delivered from our selfish schemes. May swords of hate fall from our hands, our hearts of envy find release, till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promised reign of peace. And finally, I know you all know this one, I'm just part of it. God of grace and God of glory. That's how it opens. And then these refrains. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of this hour, for the living of these days, lest 
we miss thy kingdom's goal. So what are we to think? What are we to say? What are we to pray? What are we to do in the midst of what's going on right now? Well, first, as Paul writes to the Romans, we weep with those who weep. People just like you and me, fellow beloved children of God, with the same hopes and dreams for themselves and their families, are under attack and living in fear for their very lives and their freedom. This is not a time to shrug our shoulders and say, well, these things happen, they always happen, or that's their business. What does that have to do with me? No. This is our business. Like John the Baptist, we sometimes need to stand up and boldly rebuke vice, as the collect for his feast day puts it, to call out sin and sinners who have not heard or cannot follow the prayer of St. Francis, becoming and acting as instruments of war rather than instruments of peace. And thank God people are standing up and speaking out all over the world. Thank God for that witness. And so in some cases, very bold witnesses. I'm not here to say, of course, what we do after that. Let us pray fervently for all those who are figuring out what to do, the best way to respond. But as Christians, we have a unique responsibility to keep holding up to the world God's vision of peace as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Your bishop, Bishop Lucinda, posted on Thursday these words. Peace, all caps. Preach it. Pray it. Proclaim it. Live it. Where there is no vision, no vision of peace, people perish. But we have a vision, starting with today's gospel, a spectacular vision we call the Transfiguration. This is a pivotal moment, a moment when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus for who he really was in all his glory and all his power, and all his peace. It was also a moment of reflection for Jesus before he turned his face towards Jerusalem and started his final journey that would lead to his arrest and trial and suffering and death on the cross. That's why we have this gospel of the last Sunday of Epiphany, because it prepares us for what we're going to go through now in the season of Lent. The transfiguration was a moment when a radiant light shined in and on and around Jesus, changing his appearance, his clothes becoming dazzling white, to use Luke's term, with Mark's account adding, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And Matthew adds, his face shone like the sun. And if that wasn't enough, Moses and Elijah appear, representing the law of the prophets, which Jesus came to fulfill by his life and his ministry. One lesson I take from today's gospel comes with observing how Peter and James and John 
dealt with this situation. In the middle of this glorious and yet terrifying event that kept them awake, even though they were, quote, weighed down with sleep, Peter manages to say to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And then he wants to set up camp and stay a while. You can only imagine his thinking, you know, whatever's going on here, whatever's coming, let's stick around, let's stick together. A week after I retired five years ago, Kathleen and I and Christopher went on a trip and found ourselves in the Grand Tetons, that wonderful national park, and found ourselves in the church chapel of the Transfiguration, which is an extension of the Episcopal Church in Jackson, but it's owned, it's, it's on the property, the national park within the park. It's a place where you wouldn't really want to preach because there's this beautiful window behind the pulpit, glass, those beautiful mountains. Words would, I, and I would, mine would too, would go in and out of people's ears. I wouldn't want to preach there. Outside the chapel, there's a message which includes these words. Like the disciples on the mount, we would like to stay here. We cannot. We must return to our lives. So we're, we're thinking, you know, okay, vacation's over. Back to regular routines. Back to school, whatever. We begin to think those things with perhaps mixed emotions. It's always good to get home, even after the best vacations. But we can't stay there. We need to get back to our lives. That's the message they leave with as you walk out of that chapel. But returning to our lives is taking on a new meaning right now. I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone, maybe you do, who considers the last couple of years a wonderful mountaintop experience, or anyone who wants to stay in the shadow of this still unpredictable pandemic. In any case, we are already discovering that returning to our lives will include new things, some good, some not so good, some welcome, some not. One of the earliest explanations, I, heard, I was at a clergy meeting, a Zoom meeting for the Diocese of Monterey, and we were all, of course, trying to figure this out in the moment. And one priest, I forget who it was, kind of summed it up the best, I thought. He said, she said, we're all trying to figure out how to go back to the future. And that goes for individuals, and it goes for congregations alike. You already know that. You've been thinking about that. God bless you for a long time. One commentator suggests the transfiguration has to do, has more to do with us and less to do with Jesus. Quote, whatever happened on the mountain, it was within and to the disciples. For a fleeting moment, their eyes were opened to the unimaginable glory of the Incarnation. I would add this morning, for a moment, for a moment, in seeing who Jesus really was, they had a vision of peace and glory. Frederick Biegner, our friend that I shared last week, that wonderful story about Joseph, he describes the transfiguration this way. 
Quote, it is as strange a scene as there is in the Gospels. Even without the voice from the cloud to explain it, they had no doubt what they were witnessing. It was Jesus, all right, the man they'd tramped many a dusty mile with, the one they'd seen as hungry, tired, footsore as the rest of them. But it was also the Messiah, the Christ in his glory. It was the holiness of the man shining through his humanness. His face so afire with it, they were almost blinded. And then he continues, even with us, something like that can happen once in a while. The face of a man walking his child in the park, of a woman picking peas in a garden, standing barefoot in the sand watching the waves roll in, or just having a beer at a baseball game in August. And we can add our own moments when we see and we feel the glory of God. Kathleen and I were at Los Gatos outside the senior, uh, Civic Center, and there was this couple, this young, young couple with a baby, their firstborn, three weeks old, and they were glowing. We had a little conversation with them, but we could see that just walking by. They were just glowing with joy and peace. So happy. Every once and so often, Beatner concludes, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive, transfigures the human face that it's almost beyond bearing. Of course, right now, Watching the news, some of it is almost beyond bearing. Right now, that joy and brightness is threatened by a dark cloud over Eastern Europe. And we don't know exactly how long it will hover, or where it will move, or when, we pray God, it will dissipate. Instead of seeing a happy couple glowing with their three-month-old in the park on a beautiful sunny day, we're seeing parents with their children and infants sheltering in subway stations, or frankly trying to get on a train out of town. And those and so many other pictures we've been seeing just breaks our hearts. At some point, we don't even know what to say or pray or much less do. In his statement this week, Presiding Bishop Michael Curry quote St. Paul, who said, quote, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray as we ought. And sometimes the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Too deep for words. I mean, today's not Pentecost, but we should be calling on the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Help bring an end to this madness. I mean, I know it's been going on in different places of the world all the time. It's always in the headlines, but right now, well, it's right in front of us. We can't just ignore it. We need to be holding that vision of something better. So as we continue into our futures, uncertain as they may be, today, remember first those whose futures are far more uncertain right now. And 
In spite of the frightening and changing circumstances, we ask God to help us all keep moving forward with confidence and joy, knowing the light of Christ is leading us, the light of Christ is shining through us, and all will be well. All will be well. We don't want to lose sight of that vision because it's real, just as real as ever. Without a vision, people perish. But we have a vision. Lord, help us keep sharing your vision of peace. Lord, help us continue being instruments of your peace, the best we can be. And Lord, have mercy on us and your world at war again.